It's one thing to have a military strategy. For something as big as the U.S. military, though, it's something else again to align your forces with that new strategy. In its annual report on U.S. military forces, the Center for Strategic and International Studies looked deep into the 2020 Defense Department proposal. Joining me with what they found, the senior advisor to the CSIS International Security Program, Mark Kantian. Mr. Kantian, good to have you back. Thanks for having me on the show. And you have done this deep dive, and I guess let's start with the end first. Does the spending seem to align the military with its stated new strategy as it pivots to Russia and China? Well, there's a lot of controversy about that. There's a group of people who want to be more aggressive in moving towards a uh, strategy that focuses on great powers, Russia and China. There's another group that points out that the day-to-day demands on the Department of Defense for conflicts in the Middle East, for reassurance of allies in Europe, for forward deployments in the Western Pacific, demands forces that are available today, and that would push you uh, in a different direction to have maybe a larger force structure. So there's this tension inside the DOD budget and program uh, that is still unresolved. And I think what's happening is it's pushing the services towards a spectrum of capabilities or a high-low mix where they can have some forces that meet a great power conflict, but also some other forces may be less capable, but they can do these day-to-day uh, uh, commitments. So those day-to-day commitments then mitigate in favor of just larger numbers of forces as opposed to long-range capabilities like guided missiles and so on. Exactly. If you look at the Air Force, for example, it's buying F-35s, and it already has F-22s, with stealth capabilities that are able to penetrate very sophisticated air defenses. And if you wanted to go up against China or Russia, you would need those kind of capabilities. On the other hand, it has F-15s, F-16s, and A-10s, which are very capable. They can't quite go against great power air defenses, but they're perfectly capable of dealing with uh, North Korea or Iran or dropping bombs on insurgents in Afghanistan. So the Air Force is, is torn between the two and is maintaining these legacy capabilities in order to meet the day-to-day commitments, and all of the services have the equivalent. So it sounds like a very difficult thing to balance from a budgetary standpoint, because you can't pay for everything. And as you point out in the report, even though the dollars are growing, the real buying power is pretty stagnant. So how are they balancing capabilities versus the force size? That's right. That's a tension that's in the program and that I think will play out in the future. The budget has gone up quite substantially in the last couple of years, but the projections are for it to be level in constant dollars. The department had the concept that it would identify management savings from management reforms to provide that budgetary headspace to buy new capabilities, but it hasn't been able to identify those savings so far, and I think it's going to be very difficult to do that in the future. So as this plays out, the department and the individual services may have to make trade-offs between the size of the force and these new capabilities. And just a side question out of curiosity, you have access, as we all do, to all of the line items that they're proposing that are being posed to Congress, with the exception of maybe some intelligence lines. So therefore, that information is available to Russia and China as readily as it is to us. Is anything about their spending, their plans, their strategies equally available to U.S. thinkers? No. And this is a disparity between democracy, which is very transparent, and authoritarian regimes, which are not. We can infer a lot about what they're doing, and we can certainly see what they're doing 
their plans for the future are very speculative, particularly when you get to China, because depending on what you project, the Chinese military could become very, very large, very threatening in the future. It could be moderately threatening, or if for some reason it leveled off, uh, the threat might mitigate. And there's a lot of debate about which way it might be going, but we really don't know. We're speaking with Mark Kantzian, Senior Advisor to the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. You mentioned that there's tension within the Pentagon about this between the, the capabilities and force size, which relates to what they see as the major threats in the world. How much unanimity is there between the Pentagon and congressional appropriators? I think that relationship has been pretty good. The Senate under McCain had pushed DOD to make more dramatic changes. On the other hand, the Congress tends to be conservative. In other words, they tend to favor existing systems. Some of that's parochial interest in that the systems are built in uh, members' districts. But part of it is that legacy systems are operating smoothly. There are existing production lines. Uh, they're produced uh, without uh, uh, many problems. Uh, they're out in the field and they're working. So this, there's this natural tension between strategists who tend to want to move more quickly and the Congress and many members uh, who are inclined to continue doing what we're doing. And also the military has a checkered record, I guess, of delivering new technologies, new capabilities, new platforms in any kind of reasonable proximity to what they promised would be the budget and schedule. That's right. There's a lot of risk when you move to uh, a new system. DOD's track record has not been very good on uh, cost growth. There are also questions about capability and whether they can get all the capabilities that they want. So it's a very risky thing. The Army got badly burned in the 2000s when it tried to bring on several new systems, future combat system, Crusader, Comanche, uh, all, all of which failed, and the Army, as a result, missed a generation of modernization. And that gets to the question of some of these new techniques, new innovations that the military leaders are going to Silicon Valley and doing all kinds of special acquisitions to try to get understanding of and acquisition of. I'm thinking of things like directed energy and these super high-speed Mach 7 projectiles that don't even have to blow up and things like that. Does the budget have sufficient funds for getting that innovation, that next offset, as they call it? Or is that something just kind of on hold or happening piecemeal, do you think? Right now, there's what I would call a primordial soup of systems and development. That is, there are a lot of interesting new technologies out there that the services are pursuing. They have not yet coalesced into systems that are going to be produced and fielded. There are some experiments. And one of the challenges of the next couple of years is going to bring, be to bring those technologies, which may be promising in the laboratory, into the field to test them and then to bring them into systems that are widely produced. And I guess maybe the force that has had the most amount of ground grind down and therefore needs the most just immediate, if not modernization, at least recapitalization, is the Army. Is that happening in the budget? The Army is in an unusual position in that during the 2000s, it got a lot of money for equipment modernization and used that to buy systems that were already in production. As a result, its systems are in relatively good shape. In other words, they aren't very... Uh, the individual systems aren't old. But the price they paid is that they don't have a new generation that's ready to go into procurement. Over this last year, the Army leadership under uh, Esper and Milley 
conducted what they called night court, and that is they went through each line of the Army budget, and it appears that they actually did go through every line, to identify programs that needed more resources in order to fit the new national security strategy, uh, and programs that maybe had excess resources or didn't fit that strategy very well, and those programs lost funding. So they put in place the mechanisms and the funding to do that in the future, but they have to bring that to fruition. And finally, if you see a rise of about 4.9%, depending on what Congress does, if it ever does do an appropriation for 2020, what do you see in 21 and 22 years beyond the out years? What's your prediction there? 21 is going to be a very interesting year because several of the services have major force structure analyses that will be rolled out in that time frame. I already mentioned what the Army was doing. The Navy is doing a force structure analysis that looks to put more emphasis on unmanned vehicles. The Marine Corps is similarly doing a force structure analysis following on the new Commandant General Berger's guidance to focus on unmanned and dis- uh, systems and uh, distributed operations. And the Air Force is apparently going through a night court kind of process to identify resources that uh, to go into new uh, systems. All of those will come out in the FY21 budget and will indicate where the services will be going in the future. Mark Kantian is Senior Advisor to the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on the show. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.